0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm
0: Kyle. And this is the week of May 24th, 2021, the semi and finals of the 2021 Tournament of Champions, also week two of Buzzy Cohen as guest hosts. On Monday, the first semifinal game, we have the contestants Ryan Hemmel, a legal technology professional from Los Angeles, California, Karen Farrell, a political consultant from Chesapeake, Virginia, and Sam Kavanaugh, a substitute teacher, originally from Carlton, Minnesota. And the Jeopardy round categories are Music for Champions, Newer history books, flags, starts with something you can ride, what to wear, and Zodiac Rhyme Time.
1: Um, they kept it pretty neck and neck up to the Daily Double. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even after the Daily Double, right, like sort of kept pace with each other. Yeah. Very evenly matched, I think. Through the first um, round,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah through the first round. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: There was a triple stumper in the music for champions category at the $1,000 level. They showed a picture and the clue was the 2014 song Champion is by Matthew Miller who performed under his this Hebrew stage name. Uh, that's Modis Yahoo. For a small time in college, I was way into Modis Yahoo's music. Hmm. And very much enjoyed him. Also, there was a very... Like, I obviously... I don't, I don't think you'd be able to figure it out if you didn't know it, but in the picture, on his microphone, it says M-A-T, which is the oh. first three letters of, of his stage name, and I thought that was a... I don't know, I saw that and I was like, that's a pretty big giveaway, but as I thought more about it, it's like, well, if you don't know his stage name is Modestyahu, Yahoo. If you don't know Modestyahu Yahoo is a stage name of anyone, then you're. it's not going to point you anywhere. Right. But I did think it was interesting.
1: Yeah, it could it could be helpful if you are trying to pull the name. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, at the six hundred dollar level of flags, just knowing that Liberia connects historically with the United States, and like I'm even like a little fuzzy on the exact details of that, but that's just always going to be helpful for trivia. Uh, yeah. The clue there was about. Uh, While the American flag has seven red and six white stripes, uh, this African country has six red and five white stripes. Um, So, you know, sort of knowing that um, that Liberia and the U.S. are kind of historically connected. You can be like, oh, like, you know, which African country has a flag similar to the American flag? It's always going to be Liberia. Right. Daily double number one. Comes up in Starts with Something You Can Ride as the 17th pick. And Ryan finds this one. uh, It's at the $800 level. He makes it a true daily double with $3,200. Sam and Karen are tied at $3,400. And he gets the clue to discard an object to lighten a craft. Perhaps a really fast plane. And he can't come up. With it, he says it's not coming, which is, like, a, you know, it's a very sort of relatable way. Like, when you when you know that, like, somewhere in your head you have this knowledge and if you could sit down for a few hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly, or even a few minutes, you would certainly be able to sort of work your way through the wordplay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just not in the amount of time he has. Uh, that's jettison. Mm-hmm. So, he drops to zero. Yep. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sam has taken the lead with 6,600. Karen has 4,200. Ryan's made his way back up to 600. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, Chinese Theater Hand and Footprints, On the River, Non-Italian Roman Emperor, Elementium, I-U-M in quotation marks, Too Much, and Never Enough.
0: Mm. (laughs) Uh, Daily Double number two is the first pick of the round uh, Ryan finds it because he is in third place. It's at the $1,600 level of elementium. Uh, he's only at $600 and he wagers $2,000. Sam and Karen are the scores they just had. Uh, he gets the clue. Calium is another name for this element. And he gets that correct with what is potassium, which is where the oh, chemical symbol of K comes from.
1: I thought this was a, a pretty challenging board, at least for me semi-final level clues a little bit deeper pulls than uh than you'd expect from your average jeopardy game
0: as it should be
1: as it should be if it's if it's a standard jeopardy game then all this is is a buzzer contest yeah and uh you know luck on the daily doubles
0: we got a we got a triple stumper real unfortunate in the chinese theater category at the 800 hundred dollar level they showed a picture the clue is this veteran actor left his hand and foot but not mustache prints uh, Sam guessed who is Waterston, which is funny to me. He just like picked an old guy. Uh, Karen guessed who is <laughs> Sam Neal, which is closer. It was Sam Elliott, the most epic mustaches.
1: Clearly, they, they knew their celebrities better than I did in that they were trying to be like, which Sam is this? <laughs> <laughs> it was thanks to your deep dive in quiz that I knew the $1,200 level of that category. This honoree produced Michael Jackson's album, Thriller... And composed the theme for Sanford and Son. That is Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. I know that now. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And Daily Double number three comes up in the non-Italian Roman Emperor category at the $1,200 level as the seventh pick. So we're getting them all out of the way earlier in this round. Sam finds this one. He's at $13,000 to uh, Karen and Ryan's $4,200. they are tied. And he wagers 8000 and gets the clue Claudius and Caracalla were born in this Roman region in what is now the city of Lyon and he correctly responds what is Gaul yep. that takes him way up yes indeed not, com- <laughs> not completely out of reach but given that they've been neck and neck at this point that they seem to be about evenly matched on sort of knowledge and buzzer mm-hmm. increasing his lead that much Yeah,
0: puts him in is, a great uh, spot yeah, Yeah, and he, he just uh, he holds on to that lead for the rest of the game uh, quite a bit. He actually advances it pretty quickly. He kind of, I don't know if that gave him confidence. I don't know if that shook the other mm-hmm. players or what, but uh, he was able to get in on uh, a number of the clues after that. And going into Final Jeopardy, he is in a locked position at 28,600. Karen's at 11,400, mm-hmm. and Ryan is at 3,800. They get the Final Jeopardy category 20th Century Artwork, and the clue... The artist's wife described the scene of this 1942 painting as "brilliant interior of cheap restaurant," and they all got it right. Uh, Ryan wrote, "What is Nighthawks?" and he uh, wagered 107. So he gets to 3907. Don't know if that's important. Karen also wrote, "What is Nighthawks?" wagered 1119. A couple of a couple of wagers that seem to be significant, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sam bet nothing because he didn't need to with what is Nighthawks. that is correct. Yeah, if uh, I, I got to think if there's if there is one painting trivia thing to know, it's Hopper and Nighthawks. <laughs> it, it just seems like that's it.
1: Yeah, that might be the one.
0: Yeah. So, so there we go. So Sam Cavanaugh yeah. punches his ticket.
1: It's got to feel good to go into final in a lock position and. In the semi final oh round, gosh. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So on Tuesday, we have Kevin Walsh, a story analyst originally from Williamstown, New Jersey, Veronica Vichet Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, and Ryan Bilger, a graduate student from McCungie, Pennsylvania. And we have the Jeopardy categories bestsellers, Capitol Hills, holidays and festivals, the family business, tournaments, And Double the Double Vowels. Kevin struggled through this whole round, but hey, uh, when the game aired, um, (laughs) they released uh, a little bit. They'd filmed behind the scenes with him, which was his marriage proposal. Yes. Uh, Yeah.
0: It was awesome. It
1: was so great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's just, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do that, to like, to like approach and be like, hey, guys. Would you do this for me? Mm-hmm. Like to ask the crew to allow that. Uh, yeah. But, but that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, his bride-to-be, of course, responded, what is yes? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's so great. Adorable. Yeah. Uh,
0: we had a triple stumper at the $400 level of the family business that threw me off too. And I'll, I'll tell why. The clue is, in 2006, the new CEO of this beverage company was Auguste Fourth great-great-grandson of co-founder Adolphus. Kevin guessed what is Coca-Cola, but it's Anheuser-Busch. And I got stuck on Coors, which I probably shouldn't have, but partially because I grew up in Colorado and Coors is, you know, a local thing. Uh, But also because it was founded by Adolph Coors. And I was like, Mm. was his real name Adolphus? And we just called him Adolph Coors? Was it, was was that the reason? But apparently, both Anheuser Busch and Coors were founded by someone named Adolf, Adolf or Adolphus. Hmm. So now we know. That's a weird coincidence. Yeah.
1: We had a a weird incorrect response and uh, and rebound in the Capitol Hills category mm-hmm. at the eight hundred dollar level. Uh, the clue was the word Palace comes from the name of this one of Rome's seven hills. And Veronica buzzed in and said, "What is Palantine?" I didn't pick it up, but apparently she added an "n." Palantine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I thought she was being ruled incorrect because of the final vowel. Uh, Ryan picked up the rebound. Rebound with what is Palatine? Um, Mm -hmm. and I thought that they, I I was, I was very confused. I thought, well, it should be acceptable. Yeah. A lot. If she had said Mm Palatine, that should have been acceptable. Apparently she added an N sound Palantine. Yeah, she did. um, And that's, yeah. Uh,
0: daily double number one is in that Capitol Hills category. It's down at the $2,000 level. Uh, it's the next pick actually. Ryan finds it. He is at 2,000. Veronica's at 2200 and Kevin's at -1200 and he bets it all he gets the clue local legend says this state capital's name was inspired by a view of the James River from atop Libby Hill and he verbalizes his thought process and says okay well James is in Virginia what is Richmond uh, so that helps all of us get there together and <laughs> it's correct yes and he he so he jumps up to 4,000. Yeah. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, he has extended that lead to 7,400 over Veronica's 2,600, and Kevin is still in the red at negative 1,400. Uh, so he goes first in Double Jeopardy, where we get the categories Medical Milestones, Rock Bands, The Finest of Fine Arts, Vegetables, The TOC, TOC in quotation marks, and A Palace in History from Vienna's Schönbrunn Palace. Apparently, I'm really good at figuring out what Mark Twain is talking about, uh, at least in a Jeopardy! context. Because in the the vegetables category at the $1,600 level, the clue is this vegetable was described by Mark Twain as a, quote, cabbage with a college education. And as I thought, like, the first thing that came to mind for me was a cauliflower, and I had no reason (laughs) to think of that, but that was what it was no one rang in and tried for it but there was a a mark twain category uh in one of my games that i did particularly well in even though i was i'd never heard any of the quotes before
1: yeah i also immediately thought cauliflower and i don't know why i thought that yeah
0: it doesn't like it makes sense but i don't know why it makes sense
1: Right. I don't know how you pronounce the Brassica. How do people pronounce it? I see it written Mm. all the time. Uh, They Um, don't
0: pronounce it. It's Yeah.
1: Brassica or whatever it is, um, Mm. is a plant species. And here are some things that are all the same plant species. They are just different cultivars. Cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, collard greens. Uh, Kohlrabi (laughs) is another one. Um, Yeah. So like. When I saw this, I was like, well, it's gotta be another brassica. Like, is it cauliflower? Is it broccoli? Is it kale? Is it brussels? Bro-? And I was like, it's cauliflower. I'm like, what? why why I'm like, why am I why is would it, it cauliflower? be cauliflower? Why why that one? <laughs> um and, and my brain was just like, I don't know, it's cauliflower. And I was like, Okay, okay. I'm guessing cauliflower.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> just on the same wavelength.
1: hmm Yeah, I liked this vegetables category. Yeah, it was, it was fun. fun. Daily double number two comes up very early as the second pick it's in the finest of fine arts category at the $1200 level and veronica finds it and like with some trembling she says she's going to make it a true daily double yeah, right like so there was nervous. some there was some trepidation yeah. uh, she uh she had 4200 at this point and ryan was at 7400 so she's looking to take the lead uh kevin's still in the red at negative 1400 and she gets the clue, in this Tchaikovsky ballet, each suitor hands Aurora a flower during the Rose Adagio. And she correctly responds, what is Sleeping Beauty? Uh-huh. Kyle is not bitter about being asked a classical music question about which one has Aurora in it,
0: right. which
1: you can know from watching the Disney movie. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah.
0: In this Tchaikovsky ballet. So I go through my list, and then it's like Hans Aurora. I was like, oh,
1: yeah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Daily double number three is in the medical milestones category at the twelve hundred dollar level. It's pick number eleven, and Ryan finds this one too. Uh, he is at eleven thousand, right behind Veronica's eleven thousand six hundred. Kevin is still in the red at negative two hundred, and he says, as as we have learned that Ryan does he verbalizes his thoughts uh and he mm-hmm. says this is a big moment and wagers five thousand. gets the clue file under s in the 1950s these two microbiologists each developed a polio vaccine and man asking for two it's brutal it's brutal and he says oh my god <laughs> all right who are sulk and i don't know who the other one is and that is sabin and i mean i i I know the Salk vaccine, like that's a ter- that's a, a term that I knew before I even actually knew it was for polio. I knew the Salk vaccine was a thing, mm-hmm. but asking for the second one, I that I mean that's that's tournament of champions level. Yeah, it's but yeah, it's it was rough. I, I did yeah. learn that I did know that because one of the things that I actually studied for the tournament was vaccines specifically. I mm-hmm. I made a list of important vaccines and the people who made them, and there were like nice. four or five polio vaccines. There were a bunch of polio vaccines, huh? From different yeah. people.
1: Yeah, I think people have sort of lost track of like or like don't realize now like what a big deal polio was. And like I think that the last person in an iron lung died like not that long ago. Mm-hmm. No, I think he might be still alive. Actually. Interesting. Um yeah, oops. <laughs> oh yeah, his name is Creed uh, Bratton. Uh Paul Richard Alexander. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. Um Never mind. yeah. <laughs> Poor Ryan. I really felt for him.
0: Yeah, that was a tough one. And he was very obvious with his his emotions, and he was pretty dejected for the rest of the game after that.
1: He did manage to um, keep his head in the game and get a few more, Mm -hmm. close the gap a little bit with Veronica. Um, Kevin, I think, was just getting out-buzzed, or this wasn't his board. Yeah. Um, And at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Veronica has the lead with 16,000. Ryan's at 13,600. Kevin has made his way up to 3000 and we have the final jeopardy category Nobel winning novelists and the clue falsely accused of murder a character in his 1948 novel becomes tyrant over the whole county's white conscience Kevin has guessed who is Baldwin um it's not a bad Mm -hmm. guess um but it's not correct and he has wagered everything which sure I guess yeah You're going to need someone else to make a wagering error um, at this point. Yeah. And so contingent on the idea that one of these champions has to make a wagering error for you to win, you might as well just position yourself as high as you can, Mm -hmm. um, I guess. Uh, Ryan responds, who is Faulkner and he's wagered Mm -hmm. 24.02. So he is getting $2 above Veronica's zero wager. Or where where Veronica, you know, where Veronica is. Um, Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know why $2. Like, just in case she, I don't know. In case she wagers one.
0: In case she (laughs) wagers one or maybe wagers two to cover a $1 over. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, And Faulkner is correct.
0: And he is obviously Uh, flabbergasted by that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Apparently, the novel in question is intruder in the dust which i'm sure i've seen that title at some point yeah but i feel be like it's kind of a deep pull. yeah it's, it's yes i mean i think i think you have to know your nobel winners to some extent and then be able to work with kind of the year and the themes mm-hmm. more so than like identify the specific novel and veronica has correctly responded who is faulkner Not too surprising that a librarian was able to suss this one out Um, and has wagered 15,400, which is a cover bet and then some. Um, And so she she's our winner and she'll be going to the finals. That's right.
0: So on Wednesday, we have the third semifinal game and the contestants, Nibir Sarma, a junior at the University of Minnesota from Eden Prairie, Minnesota.
1: It just blows my mind that he's a college junior.
0: I know, right? Same, well, it was so the same good. thing with Drew. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. un- unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Jason Zufreneri, a math teacher from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Jennifer Quayle, a wine tasting consultant from DeWajak, Michigan. We get the Jeopardy round categories, the Civil War, Transportation, Young People's Literature, Ones and Zeros, Olympic Sports Equipment, and In the Dictionary. And th- this is another game where the, the Jeopardy round was pretty even. They they stayed pretty mm-hmm. close. They also they also had a number of well, maybe I'm misremembering. I feel like there were a number of of incorrect responses that kind of kept them all around each other. One would you know get a lead and then get one wrong, and then another would mm-hmm. get a little ahead and get one wrong, and yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We had we had a couple of rebounds. Here. I was uh, frustrated on Jason's behalf at the $600 level of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. Um, the clue there is zero K, not to be confused with OK, is also known by this phrase. And Jason tried what is zero Kelvin, and Buzzy said be more specific. And he said uh, degrees Kelvin temperature, and none of those were what they were looking for. Nibir got the rebound with uh, absolute zero. Mm-hmm. That's what they were looking for there. Yeah.
0: It is zero Kelvin. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah.
1: It, yes. Uh, it's
0: not wrong, but it's not the phrase they were looking for.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jason did have a successful be more specific in the Olympic sports equipment category as the very first clue at the $600 level. Um, the clue there was hoops, ribbons. And he tried what is gymnastics? And Buzzy said, be more specific. And he said, rhythmic gymnastics. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I, l- I like when a be more specific works out for somebody. Mm-hmm. I was also proud of myself for getting four of the five Olympic sports equipment clues correct. Nice. Because as we've established, I'm not very good at sports questions.
0: But the Olympics. Yeah. As as much as maybe they shouldn't be going on this year, I am very excited for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because <laughs> I love the Olympics.
1: I haven't looked at how they're going to be going on.
0: Uh, probably but... amid protests. That's my mm-hmm. understanding.
1: Hmm. Daily Double number one comes up in young people's literature at the $400 level. Jennifer finds it as the seventh pick. She's in the red at this point. She has negative 200 to Jason's 1800 and Nibir's 200. So so she wagers 1,000 and gets the clue. Chapters in this work include The Mock Turtle's Story and The Lobster Quadrille. Uh, And she correctly responds What is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland? Very correct with the title. Would yeah. they have taken Alice? Would they have taken Alice in Wonderland? Do you think?
0: I, I don't know because it's specifically literature and it's chapters right. in this work.
1: Yeah, I, I wondered Alice, that same and thing. And Alice in Wonderland is the film. Is that? I, th- I believe a, so. Yeah. And the book is uh-huh. Alice's
0: Adventures in Wonderland. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But we didn't yeah. have to find out because she got it right.
1: Right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round. Jason has a slim lead with 4,800. Jennifer's at 4,200. Nabeer's at 3,400. And we have the double jeopardy categories Seeing Red, It's a Mirage, 3D, D in quotation marks, each correct response will have 3Ds, UK places, fictional game shows, and The Ancients Speak. In my house, we were hoping that fictional game shows would include the fictional game show in BoJack Horseman, which is called Celebrities, What Do They Know? Do they know things? Let's find out. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that's kind of a long response. Though.
1: <laughs> I, I think you'd have to give, give the, the, name. Yeah. the name of the game show and maybe a little context and have the contestants come up with BoJack Horseman. Yeah,
0: probably. That's that's funny. My mom had me watch Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was probably too young.
1: I often scandalize my sister by Admitting that I haven't seen a movie on the podcast. So, mm-hmm. hey, Casey, this one's for you. I've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. I will eventually. And yeah. uh yeah, I did finally watch O oh, Brother Where Art, though.
0: Hmm. That's a good one.
1: That's the other. That's the most recent one I said on the podcast I hadn't seen. And got uh-huh. started getting scandalized text messages. You've never seen
0: it? Yeah. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now I've um, seen it.
0: <laughs> you know, when Meatloaf shows up, I was like, I don't get this. I'd probably <laughs> appreciate it more now as an adult. But anyway, daily double number two is in the UK places category. It's at the $1,200 level. Nabir finds it. It's pick number seven in the round. He's at 3000 behind Jennifer's 5,400 and Jason's 11,600. He wagers all 3000, which he definitely should at that point, And he gets the clue. Doing something redundant is like carrying coals to this city, formerly a coal mining center. And he doesn't know. So he goes through his list of, British towns in his mind is what I imagined he did. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he says, what is Birmingham? But that is incorrect. They're looking for Newcastle carrying coals to Newcastle, which is a term I had never heard before.
1: It vaguely rang a bell once I heard them say it. But yeah, no, I was, I was never going to get that one. Cumberland came to mind for me because of the alliteration, but like, that's not a mining thing. Like that's a, that's a like rural area. So (laughs) whoops. Uh, Daily Double number three comes up in the Ancient Speak at the $1,600 level. It's the 21st pick, and Jason finds it. He has $16,800 at this point to Jennifer's $14,200. Nibir's at $2,000. And he wagers $5,000 and gets the clue. Augustus Caesar said he found Rome a city of bricks and left it a city of this which was much nicer. Jason tries what is gold. Not a bad guess. The correct ha- answer here is marble,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: which is what I guessed, so that felt good. Nice. Yeah. So Jason drops down and ends up trailing Jennifer by 2,400, something like that.
0: Yeah, and uh, they kind of maintain that distance going all the way into Final Jeopardy. Jennifer is at 15,000, Jason's at 13,400, and Nabir is back at 2,800. Uh, they got the Final Jeopardy category, Classical Composers! And I was like, oh yay, I'm gonna get this wrong. And the clue, Monsieur Crescendo and Signor Vacharmini, or Mr. Racket, were derisive nicknames for this composer whose last opera dates from 1829. I was pretty impressed that two out of three got this. Nibir wrote, who is Verdi, who is one of the names that came to mind for me, uh, but that is incorrect. Uh, and he wagered twenty seven ninety nine. Verdi, Verdi lived until 1901 or something like that. So his last mm-hmm. opera was certainly much later uh, than 1829. As we talked about in my La Scala dive. Jason got it correct with Who is Rossini? And he wagered 7000 Enough to stay above Nibir's double up if he got it wrong. Got himself ahead of Jennifer. Mm-hmm. But Jennifer also got it correct with Who is Rossini? And she made a cover bet of... Well, more, actually, more than a cover bet. <laughs> she bet everything but a dollar, which I thought was a little bit, a little bit too much, mm-hmm. given where the beer ended up. Uh, but she got it correct, so she moved up to twenty nine ninety nine nine, and uh, she is a finalist. I thought this one was surprisingly difficult. You you really just had to go with the date because I don't know that Mister Crescendo and Mister Racket would really point you at anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just had to know the date.
1: Yeah, I. I don't know if there are non-Italian opera composers that I should be thinking about in that era, but I sort of thought Signor Vaccarmini Va- Va- I-, I felt like the the Italian word for racket made me think that this was an Italian composer. Sure. Yeah. Um Monsieur and Signor and Crescendo is, you know, like a like musical terminology like that felt Mm -hmm. like that you could use those in any context. But that that one word made me think this is this has got to be someone Italian. Yeah. Which makes Um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. I did guess Rossini. Um, I wasn't super secure on the on the year, but I was like, it's got to be like one of the earlier opera composer is definitely someone italian initially like crescendo and racket made me try and think about composers who people complain about as overwrought and i was like wagner and then i was like no not wagner but that's the year is wrong but also yeah but yeah also also the italian language made me think "Mm, not wagner yeah um
0: yeah it's a good thought
1: yeah so with that, we know who our three finalists are, and we go into Thursday, May 27th, with the first of two games of the final round of the Tournament of Champions. So we have Sam Cavanaugh, Jennifer Quayle, and Veronica Vidget vatican We've already told you their what? occupations right. and where they're from. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we start off with the Jeopardy round categories, the colonial world college computer speak musical menagerie shakespeare character football team and h2o that is things that start with h and end with o not h2o like right like water yeah this round made it very clear to me why they were up there and i was not oh. <laughs> i was like <laughs> i got a handful <laughs> no i no i did i did it i did okay but you know Sure, yeah, it was it, it it played for for me at home, it played a lot harder, um, but you know they they made it look like just a G- game of jeopardy,
0: yeah, they did very well in the jeopardy round, mm-hmm. especially yeah, uh, only a couple of incorrect responses, I think one or two triple stumpers
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: overall very, very good,
1: yeah, I did manage to get one of the triple stumpers in the which college category. At the $600 level. Tribble Hall, the Demon Deacon statue at Truest Field. Sam tried Duke. That is Wake Forest. Clergy are just sort of tickled at the the Demon Deacon mascot. <laughs> uh, so so that was one that I knew cold. Nice. Um,
0: I have no idea. But now, uh, now that'll stick with me.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Wake Forest.
0: Uh, Daily Double number one is in the Shakespeare character football team category at the $1,000 level. Uh, Sam finds it. He's at thirty-four hundred. This is uh, pick number eighteen. Veronica's at four thousand, and Jennifer is at negative six hundred. Uh, and he bets it all. He gets the clue: a very outside linebacker. This guy plays on an island. The son of a witch and a devil. He's a total beast out there. Uh, and he gets that correct. With who is Caliban? Mm-hmm. Study your yeah. Shakespeare if you're
1: going mm-hmm. on Jeopardy. I thought that Shakespeare character football team category as a whole was kind of a <laughs> kind of wacky.
0: Yeah, but,
1: you know. Eh, I guess that's what we're here for.
0: Right. And it's the finals. They got to change something up. Yeah. Going into the double Jeopardy round. Veronica is at 5,000. Jennifer has gotten herself out of the hole at 1,200. And Sam is in the lead at 7,600. We got the double Jeopardy categories. Straits, History, Law, Slaw, Science and Nature, Celeb Name in the Middle, and Losing Your Religion.
1: Those last two both felt sort of wordplay-ish to yeah. me. Uh, celeb name in the middle, they give you a first name, two blanks, and a last name. And you have to fill in the celebrity who makes a, like a complete set of three celebrities, if you will. So, like, for instance, Philip K. blank, blank, Gable. Sam got that one. That was the $800 level. That's Dick Clark. So, Philip K. Dick, Dick Clark, Clark mm-hmm. Gable. And then Losing Your Religion was... A wordplay category where you start with a word related to a religion that they clue um, and then remove one letter and it becomes something else so a Muslim holy month loses its last letter becoming this hotel chain Jennifer got that one Uh, that's Ramada from Ramadan lots of kind of wordplay puzzly kinds of things in this round
0: sadly no uh, Roman numeral math yet
1: Mm mm-hmm None. I mean, not not to spoil, but like it is. Yeah, you know. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the week after. By the time anyone's listening to this, I was I was bummed not to see any Roman numeral math in the tournament. And I don't think we had any. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the
0: celeb name in the middle was kind of like a before, during, and after.
1: Hmm. Sort of.
0: Like, yeah. Maybe they're trying to get yeah. away from it, but we need we need yeah. tra- like tradition. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Daily double number two. Comes up in the history category at the $800 level as the 11th pick, and Jennifer finds this one. She has $4,400 at this point to Veronica's $5,000, and Sam is at $15,600, so she has to do it. She makes it a true daily double, good call Jennifer, Mm -hmm. and gets the clue in 1247, the Priory of St. Mary of Bethlehem, later an asylum known by this six-letter name, opened in London. And she gets that one correct with what is Bedlam. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Bedlam derives from Bethlehem in the name of this institution.
0: And so is that where we get that word? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I never. Yeah, I never.
1: I mean, I'm verifying without looking it up, but uh, having sort of heard this a while back. But yes.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Late Middle English, early form of Bethlehem, referring to the Hospital of St. Mary of Bethlehem in London. Nice. Yep, that's, uh, that's where that word comes from.
0: We had a nice uh, self-referential self-refer- clue in the law law category at the $1,200 right. level. Race judicata or a thing already judged, is the civil law version of this two-word action banned by the Bill of Rights. Jennifer got it. That's double jeopardy.
1: Double jeopardy. In the double jeopardy round. <laughs> she took a moment to be amused by it before yes. calling the next clue. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and we get Daily Double number three in that Lost Law category down at the $1,200 level. Jennifer finds this one as well. It's pick number 12, and she uh, is at 8800 Veronica's at five thousand. Sam is, I guess, still at fifteen thousand six hundred, and she wagers <laughs> three thousand. She gets the clue: the first play by Lord novelist politician and inmate Jeffrey Archer had a legalistic title beyond these two words, and she guesses what are good and evil. But it is beyond reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. I think good and evil would technically count as three words in a title if they were asking for that.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Like, the clue -hmm. clue wouldn't say these two words if they were looking for good and evil, right? Yep. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't, she took a guess, so don't blame her.
1: Neither Veronica nor Jennifer are able to close that gap with Sam. And so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Sam is up at 24,000. Jennifer's at 11,000. Veronica is at 8,200. But, of course, this is a two-day total point affair. I don't think we've said that yet.
0: No, not yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But now we did. They're not out of the running, um, although this game is locked. We get the final Jeopardy category music and geography. And the clue in a British folk tune, the title lass Maggie May is sentenced to go way down south to this penal colony that rhymes with her name. Veronica has responded, What is Double Day? But that's not correct. Um, And her wager is 1800. Uh, It looks like she was maybe trying to head for 10,000 as kind of a, you know, a nice round benchmark. You know, she's not going to win this game, but she, you know, depending on how the next day goes, might be able to to win the championship. But anyway, she drops down to 6,400. Jennifer has responded. What is Botany Bay? That is correct. uh, Mm -hmm. In reference to Australia. And she's wagered 3500 That takes her up to 14500 And Sam also has what is Botany Bay. Uh, he's wagered 14000 which I thought was a smart wager in that if he misses it, he'll drop down to, like, around where Veronica and Jennifer are starting. You know, I thought, it, like, it, it's likely to drop him kind of into the thick of things. But it's a, it's a big enough wager to get him way out ahead. He's at 38000
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely a good move.
1: Yeah. So they'll uh they'll take those scores and add them to what they get on Friday.
0: That's right. And on Friday we have game two of the two day total point affair. That is the Tournament of Champions final. And we have again the finalists Sam Kavanaugh, Jennifer Quayle, and Veronica Vich at Vatican. Uh, and we just talked about their scores, so we don't need to go over it again. And the Jeopardy! round categories are geography, philharmonic convergence, that's garbage, classic toys and games, imbibers lexicon, and on the house with house in quotation marks.
1: And we did just talk about their scores, um, but worth noting if you haven't thought a lot about tournament strategy... You know, they reset the scores to zero, but he finished the previous game $23,500 ahead of Jennifer in second place. Mm -hmm. And so for either of the others to have a chance of beating him, there has to be a possibility of Jennifer winning by 23,501 or more in this game Mm -hmm. or Veronica winning by... Oh gosh, almost 32,000, I think.
0: Yeah, quite a bit. Um, um,
1: which is something people sort of I think maybe don't don't fully think through until you're playing that kind of game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he put himself in a very good position. Mm-hmm. You know, not unheard of, not impossible, but certainly a tall hill to climb for the other two.
1: Yeah. Mhm. Do you think Beethoven's Emperor Concerto is not well known or do you think that they thought Beethoven was too obvious? At the thousand dollar level of philharmonic convergence.
0: I'm I'm wondering if they thought Beethoven was too obvious because his emperor concerto might not be well known. Like I I've I've heard it, but I don't it's it's not one of you know, it's not a symphony. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So they might not have known for sure that emperor concerto is Beethoven. But the 250th birthday of Beethoven in this last year was a pretty big deal in the classical music world. Uh, mm, so yeah. that was really the the pointer there. Yeah, but nobody nobody rang in. Nobody gave it a shot.
1: Mm-hmm. In Biber's lexicon, I thought Jennifer will do well in that mm-hmm. as a as a wine tasting consultant. And indeed, she did. Sam got a couple of them, uh, but Jennifer got the four hundred, eight hundred, and a thousand. Yeah, for sure levels. Certainly,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> certainly in her wheelhouse.
1: I could not remember the counterpart of. Well, at the thousand dollar level, well brands. If you don't specify what liquor you want in your cocktail, uh, this other word also ending in double L is used for specific brands. Uh, that's call. Mm-hmm. The daily double in this round is at the six hundred dollar level of the geography category, and Sam finds it as the tenth pick. He has two thousand at that point to. Veronica's 1000 and Jennifer's 2600, and he makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. You can give us either the French or English name of this African country whose legislative capital is Yamasucro. And he correctly identifies the Ivory Coast, doesn't want to attempt saying Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, you probably don't have to (laughs) lean that hard into the accent, far.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't blame him at all. I had the same, (laughs) same thought. I think I would just say Ivory Coast. Go with the English. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But French or English name, I thought was the giveaway Mm -hmm. there. Although hopefully also, if you're playing at a tournament level, you've spent some time with your world capitals.
0: Yeah. Especially Africa.
1: Yeah. They always give the capitals Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for the African countries because- we just don't know enough about them. Right. Otherwise.
0: (laughs) Yeah. In the, in the general American trivia world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sam is in the lead with 6,600, Jennifer's at 6,400, Veronica's at 3,200. And this is about the point where I thought, where I started thinking, okay, you know, this tournament is Sam's. If somebody's going to beat him by the kind of margin that they would need to take the tournament, you would expect to start seeing one of them pull ahead. Mm -hmm. You know? We get the Double Jeopardy categories. The 18th Century, Movies About the Movies, Nonfiction, Keeping Up with the Jones, that's J-O-A-N. This is a category about people named Joan. Mm -hmm. Math Champs, and Ten Letter Words. I feel like we didn't get some of those kind of you're expecting to see them tournament categories, right? Like, at this point, you know, I, I was expecting some Roman numeral math or some before, during, and after to come out.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but yeah. Yeah. We did We did not get any of those staples.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: a shame. A real yep. shame. I don't yeah. know if I can watch anymore. Yeah.
1: I don't know. You just have to, you have to respect the tradition.
0: Yeah. The the first pick of the round in the Movies About Movies category at the $1,600 level. In 1978, this mustachioed actor was the title character in Hooper, billed as the greatest stuntman alive. Uh, Jennifer got that. That's Burt Reynolds. Fans of the Celebrity Jeopardy remember that a fake Burt Reynolds was a was a staple there. Yes. Uh, on Saturday Night Live. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think it's interesting, two notable clues about mustachioed actors. We, we, of course, mm, had the yes. uh, the Sam Elliott one
1: from yes. earlier. Mm-hmm. We've touched on the book, The Elements of Style, mm-hmm. on the podcast before, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it came up at the $800 level of the nonfiction category. This Slim Volume by Strunk and White lays out some rules of grammar and usage. And Sam got that one. That's The Elements of Style. That's just a thing to know it exists. Right. Yeah. Daily Double
0: number two. It's pick number 5 in the round. It's in the 18th century category at the $2000 level. Jennifer finds it. She is at 10,400. Uh she's been on a bit of a tear. She's ahead of Sam's 6600 and Veronica's 3200. And she wagers 2200. It is a $2000 clue, but I kind of feel like at this, this point This would have been the, the
1: moment. If you need the kind of lead that she needs to um, to take the tournament. This is yeah. yeah, I think this is the moment for a daily, okay. for a true daily double.
0: Yeah, especially Sam's only at 6600 so Mm -hmm. even even catching back up isn't that far off. But she wagers what she wagers, and she gets the clue. The Reverend William Tennant, pastor of Freehold, New Jersey, helped launch this great religious revival. She gets that correct with what is the Great Awakening.
1: The Great Awakening, 18th century. Second Great Awakening, 19th century.
0: Great Awakening 2, the reawakening.
1: (laughs) I was sort of surprised to see them... I mean, I guess they accepted the Great Awakening. I think if they had written it into the clue and asked for something else, I would have expected them to say the first Great Awakening Mm -hmm. and to differentiate it from the the 19th century one, which gave us a bunch of important sort of things that now seem like normal parts of American religious life. Mm -hmm. Both of them did, actually. But that's another story for another day. Anyway, Daily Double number three comes up as the 13th pick at the $1,200 level of the Math Champs category. And Sam finds this one. He makes it a true Daily Double. He's at $7,800 to Jennifer's $13,800 and Veronica's $5,600. He gets the clue. Also known as Leonardo of Pisa, he knew a lot of numbers. Not just 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, and, uh... This is just a $1,200 clue, but I still was sort of surprised to see, like, it is, I thought this was easy, mm-hmm. and Sam got it. That's Fibonacci. That's the Fibonacci series. Right.
0: So he, yeah, he, uh, he got himself up in the lead there, back into the game. You know, Jennifer had been mm-hmm. making a move for herself, but that that kind of closed everything out at that point. Yep. The rest of the round continues. Uh, Sam doesn't really move up a lot more. Jennifer catches up. And Veronica Mm -hmm. gets some correct, but uh, going into Final Jeopardy, Veronica's at 9,200, Jennifer's at 19,000, and Sam is at 20,400, which means, you know, if you bet zero, then he's got the tournament locked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they get the Final Jeopardy category European borders. The clue, it's still there, but none of the countries that bordered this country at the beginning of 1990 exist anymore. Uh, Veronica wrote, What is Albania? And that is incorrect, but she wagered nothing. Jennifer wagered 8,500, which I wonder if she was, I haven't done the math. I wonder if she was attempting to lock second place in the tournament. Mm. Maybe she, because maybe she did the math and figured out that she couldn't catch Sam if he wagered properly. And so she wanted to lock second place. Uh, But she got a correct with what is Poland, which bordered Mm -hmm. Czechoslovakia, East Germany and the USSR. And those are no longer countries. Uh, So she gets it correct. Sam wrote, what is Hungary? That's incorrect, but he only wagered $12, which allowed him to maintain his lead. And Sam Kavanaugh is the 2021 Tournament of Champions champion.
1: Woo! Congratulations, Sam.
0: Yeah, way to go, Sam. It's nice to see a teacher take it. Gotta say. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a fancy new belt. So Hmm. if you've seen that on Twitter... (laughs)
1: I have not seen that on Twitter.
0: Oh, yeah, check it out.
1: Oh, yeah, look at that.
0: Yeah, he's got the belt. He's got the championship yep. belt. So there it is. That's the Tournament of Champions 2021.
1: Mm-hmm. And the last
0: game with Buzzy Cohen as host.
1: Potentially last yes. game. He mm-hmm. did a very good job. He did. He did a very good job. This is the mid-episode break where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potables. I'll tell you the truth. There's not a whole lot of new content on there, but we aspire to have new content, and which is really
0: what's it what it's about, right? It
1: does help us make this podcast, which is which is honestly quite a bit of content.
0: That's um, <laughs> fair, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, if you if you want to help us out with the continued existence of this podcast, go check that out. You can sign up to throw us a few dollars a month if you are so interested. And we've said it before; we'll say it again. Um, we love you supporting the podcasts you listen to, including this podcast. But we both feel that uh, supporting social justice movements in your community and in our country is kind of the more important thing if you have limited resources to support things you care about. A couple of places we think are good starting points are communityjusticexchange.org and blacklivesmatter.com. So if you are thinking about how to get involved. Those are those are some things to check out.
0: Absolutely. Emily, what are we talking about this week?
1: Are we talking about Beethoven?
0: We are not talking about Beethoven. I
1: think Okay. It,
0: I did a I did a jazz one recently. I did a music one. That's
1: recently, true. Yeah. So. Are we talking about chess tournaments?
0: We are not, but I strongly considered that one.
1: Okay. Uh this is kind of a long shot, but what about I think he was a makeup artist, Rick Baker.
0: <laughs> uh, that would be a long shot. I've <laughs> had to do a lot of research to feel even remotely comfortable talking about that, because I was like, I've never heard of that person, and I don't even know where to start. Uh, okay. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, we are talking about from the Tuesday game in the Double Jeopardy round and the medical milestones. It was the Miss Daily Double that Ryan had. File oh, under okay. S, in the 1950s, these two microbiologists each developed a polio vaccine. That was Salk and Sabin. And uh, I mentioned that I have, I, I had a flashcard with important vaccines and the people on them, but like that didn't really... You know, that put some names in my head and associated some things, but it didn't really give a lot of information. So, I also felt that it was kind of apropos, given the last year. I'm going to talk about vaccines and kind of the timeline of... Vaccines historically.
1: Great.
0: A vaccine is a biological preparation that provides an active or that provides active acquired immunity to a particular infectious disease. A vaccine typically contains an agent that resembles a disease causing microorganism and is often made from weakened or killed forms of the microbe, its toxins or one of its surface proteins. The agent stimulates the body's immune system to recognize the agent as a threat, destroy it, and to further recognize and destroy any of the microorganisms associated with that agent that it may encounter in the future. Vaccines can be prophylactic, to prevent or ameliorate the effects of future infection by a natural or wild pathogen, or therapeutic, to fight a disease that has already occurred such as cancer. The administration of vaccines is called vaccination, and it is the most effective method of preventing infectious disease. And the term vaccine and vaccination are derived from variolae vaccinae, or smallpox of the cow, the term devised by Edward Jenner, who both developed the concept of vaccines and created the first vaccine. Uh, He used the phrase in 1798 for the long title of his Inquiry into the Variolae Vaccinae, known as the cowpox, in which he described the protective effect of cowpox against smallpox. Uh, And in 1881... To honor Edward Jenner, Louis Pasteur proposed that the terms should be extended to cover the new protective inoculations that were then being developed. Uh, and the science of vaccine development and production is called vaccinology. So there are different types of vaccines Uh, They typically contain, like I said, dead or inactive organisms or purified products derived from them. Uh, And the different types use different strategies to reduce the risk of illness while retaining the ability to induce a beneficial immune response. Uh, So there's attenuated, which contain live... Attenuated microorganisms. Attenuated—it's created by reducing the virulence of a pathogen, but still keeping it viable. Um, so it takes an infectious agent and alters it so that it becomes harmless or less virulent, but your body still recognizes it, recognizes it as a foreign pathogen, and develops a, an, an antibody response. Uh, many of these are active viruses that have been cultivated under conditions that disable their virulent properties or that use closely related but less dangerous organisms to produce a broad immune response. Uh, examples of these include yellow fever, measles, mumps, rubella, and bacterial typhoid. The Mycobacterium tuberculosis vaccine, developed by Colmet and all? I don't know. It's, it's It looks French. Uh, it's not made by a contagious strain, but contains a virulently modified strain called BCG, and elicits the same kind of response. Attenuated uh, or live-weakened vaccines typically provoke more durable immunological responses, uh, but they may not be safe for immunocompromised individuals and on rare occasions mutate uh, into a virulent form, but that's extremely rare. Inactivated vaccines, uh, they contain inactivated but previously virulent microorganisms that have been destroyed with chemicals, heat, or radiation called ghosts with intact but empty bacterial cell envelopes. Examples of inactivated vaccines include the uh, IPV polio vaccine, hepatitis A vaccine, rabies, and influenza, and most influenza vaccines. So, like, when people get the flu shot and they have a side, like, they, they have a reaction to it or whatever, and they say, oh, well, the you know, someone will say, well, the, the flu shot can give you the flu. No, it can't. Mm-mm. It can't do that.
1: Don't let us hear
0: you saying that around here. <laughs> right? Because it, it doesn't have the virus. It does not have a living virus in it. Anyway, uh, that's inactivated. There's toxoid. Uh, they are made from inactivated toxic compounds that cause illness rather than microorganisms. And that includes tetanus and diphtheria. It doesn't necessarily have to be against microorganisms. For example, the Crotalus atrox toxoid is used to vaccinate dogs against rattlesnake bites. The subunit uh, vaccine uses a fragment of it to create an immune response. So the hepatitis B vaccine is an example of that, which is composed of only the surface proteins of the virus. Also, the uh, edible algae vaccines, like the virus-like particle vaccine against uh, HPV, those vaccines, they just take like the outside of the virus and your body learns to recognize just that, and so it builds antibodies against that. Uh, There's conjugate vaccines. So certain bacteria have a polysaccharide outer coat that is poorly immunogenic. Uh, And by linking those outer coats to proteins, such as toxins, the immune system can be led to recognize those polysaccharides as if it were a protein antigen and develop an immune response. There are outer membrane vesicle vaccines. Outer membrane vesicles are naturally immunogenic and can be manipulated to produce potent vaccines. For instance, the uh, serotype B meningococcal a vaccine. There's heterotypic or heterologous vaccines, also known as generian vaccines. They are vaccines that are pathogens of other animals that either do not cause disease or cause mild disease in the organism being treated. So, for instance, Jenner used cowpox on humans to inoculate against smallpox because it doesn't... cowpox did not really affect humans, it has a very mild effect, but it was close enough to elicit an immune response that fought off smallpox. A current example of that is the BCG vaccine uh, against tuberculosis. There's the viral vector, and viral vector vaccines use a safe virus to insert pathogen genes into the body to produce specific antigens, such as surface proteins, which stimulate immune response. And then finally, there's RNA vaccines, or mRNA vaccine. Which we've heard a lot about with the Moderna vaccine. It is a novel type of vaccine, which is composed of the nucleic acid RNA packaged with a vector such as lipid nanoparticles. Among the COVID-19 vaccines are a number of RNA vaccines under development to combat COVID-19. So Pfizer and Moderna have mRNA vaccines, and so yeah, what what that does is that that's just a different kind of like mechanism to deliver to deliver an, uh, a supposed antigen into your body to produce. particular immune response. Uh, And then there are other kinds of experimental vaccines, like dendritic cell vaccines combine dendritic cells with antigens to present them in the body. These are being tested still, and they are being tested against malignant melanoma and brain tumors. DNA vaccination is the proposed mechanism as the insertion and expression of viral or bacterial DNA in human or animal cells uh, to trigger immune response. Uh, recombinant vector combines the physiology of one microorganism and the DNA of another to create uh, immunity against the disease. T cell receptor peptide vaccines are under development for several diseases, including uh, valley fever, stomatitis, and atopic dermatitis. These peptides have been shown to modulate cytokine production and improve cell-related or cell-mediated immunity. Um, there's also like particular bacterial proteins that can be used to to vaccinate use of plasmids uh, or bacterial vectors, and antigen-presenting cells, which are just... uh, It's just like injecting antigens directly into you and eliciting an immune response. Most vaccines are uh, created using inactivated or attenuated compounds from microorganisms. Other vaccines are in more development, you know, just because they can be more readily created in a lab or... Maybe might might be able to be sold as safer to the populace, even though vaccines are safe. Uh, you know, if if it's something this is entirely synthetic and has has never touched a virus, but it'll still elicit an immune response. Maybe more people would get it. That kind of thing. Yeah. And then vaccines usually have things in them. Uh, they, they contain many ingredients. Right. We hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm not going to get it because I don't know what's in it. It's like that's not a really good. In- you don't know what's in the <laughs> a- you don't know what's in the air you breathe. Are you going to tell your kids to stop breathing? Come on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, anyway, very little of the actual vaccine that gets injected is actually the, like, the immunogen, the the active ingredient, but it has a variety of other things like adjuvants. What, uh, they usually contain one or more adjuvant, uh, and this is used to boost the immune response. Uh, it's a drug or other substance or combination of substances that just gets you to, like, increase the efficacy or potency of, a, of the vaccine. There are preservatives, of course, to, you know, prevent contamination with bacteria or fungi and that kind of thing, because they need to get it from the lab to your arm and have it be safe still. So because back in the 1920s, there was an incident that uh, a vaccine ended up having a staphylococcus uh, infection in the uh, vaccine for diphtheria, which caused some problems. There hasn't really been much of an issue since then, <laughs> but people will still get upset. Uh, and then there's also excipients, which is a substance formulated alongside an active ingredient of a medication uh, just for long-term stabilization. Aluminum salts or gels are usually one, or antibiotics or like you know certain proteins. Formaldehyde is used in some toxoid vaccines, but again, formaldehyde is also a naturally occurring substance, and we... Eat it in a lot of things, just because you know they use formaldehyde to pre- preserve bodies. It's like yeah, in extremely high doses, but mm-hmm. you consume formaldehyde on a regular basis anyway. Uh, MSG has been used, or thiomersal, which is a mercury-containing antimicrobial. But that's mercury-containing because there is a an atom of mo- of of mercury in the molecules that's in it, not because it's actually mercury. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a uh, that's a lot of information about vaccines. So just to kind of run down the timeline, 1796, the first vaccine, Edward Jenner developed the, uh, and documents the vaccine for smallpox. And like I said, the way that kind of like came about was he noticed that like milkmaids and people who regularly worked with cows did not catch smallpox, but they would at some point in their life develop, you know, some, some sores on their hands that were uncomfortable, but were certainly not life-threatening. Uh, and that was cowpox. And so he you know, pieced together that this much milder case of pox seemed to protect them from the worst case. Uh, and so he used that to move forward in developing the first vaccine. Much, much, much later, as we get into the development of the germ theory of disease and other things like that, we have Louis Pasteur, uh, in 1880, developed the first vaccine for cholera. In 1885, Pasteur and Emile Roux developed the first vaccine for rabies. In 1890, Emile von Behring uh, developed the first vaccine for tetanus, an antitoxin for tetanus. In 1896, the first vaccine for typhoid fever was developed by Almroth Edward Wright, Richard Pfeiffer, and Wilhelm Kohle. And in 1897, the first vaccine for the bubonic plague was developed by Waldemar Hofkine, yeah, what a name. 1796, we get the smallpox vaccine, and then it's almost 100 years later that we get the other vaccines because people didn't like... The idea of microorganisms and germ theory had not been accepted, uh, so it was hard for people to like prove that it was the case. But So the 20th century, we get a bunch of vaccines. In 1921, we get the first vaccine for tuberculosis, which we I've kind of mentioned before, by Albert Calmet. Uh, he was working at the Pasteur Institute. Uh, in 1923, we get the first vaccine for diphtheria by Gaston Ramon, Emil von Behring, who I mentioned before, and uh, Kaito Shibasaburo. Uh, in 1924, we get the vaccine for scarlet fever by George and Gladys Dick, and th- there is a a, uh, a test known as the Dick test for scarlet fever to see if you are susceptible to scarlet fever. I'm just going to leave that there in your consciousness for a bit.
1: Now you know.
0: (laughs) Yes, there is a dick test, and it is medically approved, or at least it was. Also in 1924, we get the first inactive vaccine for tetanus. Uh, This by Gaston Ramon and others. Uh, So before, the first vaccine for tetanus was just a serum antitoxin, uh, but this one is the first inactive vaccine. In 1926, we get the first vaccine for pertussis or whooping cough by Lila Denmark, an American pediatrician in Atlanta, Georgia. Little thing about Lila Denmark, she retired in 2001 at the age of 103. Wow. After working as a pediatrician for 73 years. 1932, we get the vaccine for yellow fever by uh, Max Theiler and Jean Legrette. Le 1937, we get the first vaccine for typhus by Weigel, Fleck, and Zinser. Also in 37, we get the first flu vaccine for influenza by Anatole Smorodintsev. In 1941, we get the first vaccine for tick-borne encephalitis. And in 1952, we get Salk's polio vaccine. So this is the first one. In 1954, we get the first vaccine for Japanese encephalitis, also the vaccine for anthrax. In 1957, we get the first vaccine for adenovirus 4 and 7. And in 62, we get the first oral polio vaccine. So the Salk vaccine was good for... I will say, developed nations who could gain access to that vaccine, but the oral administration of the polio vaccine made it possible to nearly eradicate polio, made it able to spread the the, the vaccine across the world. Polio is not eradicated. The only disease to be eradicated is smallpox. Every other disease, as much as we have done good work, it's still around. In '63, we get the measles. Uh, vaccine, 67, we get the mumps vaccine, and 70, we get the rubella, so that's the MMR combination there, although it wasn't combined until years later. In 77, we get the first vaccine for pneumonia, 78, we get the vaccine for meningitis, and in 1980, smallpox is declared eradicated. In 81, uh, hepatitis B, 84, we get the chickenpox vaccine, 85, we get haemophilus influenza type B. Uh, in 89, we get the first vaccine for Q fever, or query fever. In 90, we get the uh, Hantavirus vaccine. 91, we get Hepatitis A. 98, we get the first vaccine for Lyme disease. And in, also in 98, we get the first vaccine for Rotavirus. And then in the 21st century, uh, in 2003, we get the first nasal flu vaccine. Uh, which is still around. Uh, it's not as common because it's harder to administer, and I think, from my understanding, is it's a little less stable. So it's, it doesn't have a shelf life as long as the regular jab. In 2003, we also get the vaccine for Argentine hemorrhagic fever. 2006, we get the first vaccine for HPV, human papillomavirus, cause of cervical cancer. Uh, 2012, we get the first vaccine for hepatitis E, Which I don't even... I didn't even know there was appetitis C. I hope I have that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't remember that being a thing, and that was in 2012, so I was already out of college. I gotta check on that. (laughs) And also in 2012, we get the first four-strain or quadrivalent influenza vaccine. In 2015, we get the vaccine for uh, enterovirus 71, one of the causes of hand, foot, and mouth disease. In 2015, we also get the first vaccine for malaria, as well as dengue fever. And I this shocked me. I must have heard about this, but 2019, the first vaccine for Ebola. huh? I, I really thought that would have been earlier, but I, I guess I don't know. And then of course, 2020 vaccine for COVID-19. And that catches us up. <laughs> I just went through a bunch of things, but that's the timeline. That's, you know the big ones to remember, like obviously all of them are important, but like Edward Jenner, 1796, smallpox. Mm-hmm then you have louis pasteur cholera rabies right the first the first vaccines in in the like more modern medical age you know you get tuberculosis pertussis yellow fever that kind of thing but then the Salk and sabin vaccines for polio mmr pneumonia meningitis you know the flu vaccine that kind of thing yeah so there we are
1: yeah that was that was very helpful i uh We've all been talking a lot about vaccines, but really just this one vaccine. Um, so right. Fun to kind of go back and, and do the like the uh, trivia context.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. n- not once did I reference a uh, Facebook infographic for information. Mm. Surprisingly.
1: Did you do your own research on YouTube? Oh,
0: I watched at least <laughs> two YouTube videos, so I know everything I need to know.
1: Yes. There we go. Now you are an expert.
0: That's right. And,
1: and I know better of, than the CDC. Worthy of having opinions contrary to the consensus of medical professionals. Right. No, uh, uh, listeners know I'm being sarcastic.
0: Because, because the scientific and medical community love nothing more than controlling us for absolutely no gain no, or purpose.
1: No reason. Yes.
0: Yes. Anyway, are you ready for a quiz?
1: Oh, yes. I am ready for a quiz.
0: All right. Question one. Aedes aegypti is a common carrier of many infectious diseases, including Zika fever, dengue fever, and yellow fever. In fact, its common name is the yellow fever what?
1: I know this one. That's the mosquito.
0: That is the mosquito. That is correct. It is the yellow fever mosquito, which I remember, I remember learning that with, with Zika virus, with Zika fever. Because that was yep. a big thing four years ago, five years ago.
1: Yeah. Six um, years ago? Was that
0: twenty fifteen? Oh my gosh.
1: I believe mosquitoes are like the world's most deadly animal, which is a fun fact to surprise children with.
0: Yeah, if you yeah, for like the, the amount of humans that have died from them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So there we go. Nice. Nice. Ten points. Question two. Louis Pasteur was known for many things, including the moniker The Father of Microbiology. One reason for that title is due to his work, along with John Tyndall, uh, of disproving what general theory, or really, collection of notions dating all the way back to Aristotle. This body of thought posits that living creatures could arise from non-living matter, and that such processes were commonplace and regular. It was hypothesized that certain forms, such as fleas, could arise from inanimate matter such as dust, or that maggots could arise from dead flesh. If it were true, maybe Spinal Tap's drummer could have grown from his own ashes.
1: I know I've heard of this, but I can't remember what it's called. I think it something generation um, is what's coming to mind. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get to it. Spontaneous generation or something like that.
0: Spontaneous generation is correct. Whoa. Yes. Nice. Well done. I, I didn't know if the spinal taps drummer who spontaneously combusted would have gotten you there. But yes, spontaneous generation.
1: Huh. Is, I don't, yes. I don't think that I got there via spinal tap, although <laughs> it might not have hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, nice. I, I come across those words at some point or some yeah. points in my life.
0: Yeah, and like when I came across this, reading this, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have, I have heard this." Like the idea of like maggots coming from dead flesh. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that is like a common kind of thing. That like you know, oh well, that you know they they just grow there. Like you know that. Mm-hmm. Could, it, yep. I mean, obviously my my logical brain is like, no, they need like eggs need to show up and all, like
1: all that. But yeah.
0: Yeah, so there you go. Nice! Way to pull that out. 20 points. I feel good. Uh, Question three. This superhero originated in 1986 as a newsletter mascot for the Boston-based chain New England Comics. Two years later, he got his own comic book series, and over the next 35 years, had an animated series on Fox, two live-action series, and a video game, as well as a bunch of merch. The 2001 series starred Patrick Warburton, and the 2016 series starred Peter Serafinowicz. Who is this hero whose battle cry is simply Spoon? And I can give you a hint if you need it.
1: I definitely need a hit, and probably still won't get it anyway.
0: (laughs) I'm fairly certain this superhero is not responsible for Lyme disease.
1: Oh. Um got to be something to do with ticks is it just the tick
0: it is the tick have you never heard of the tick
1: i have heard of the tick i just uh (laughs) i I didn't know anything about him and then i was like is it the tick or is it like tick man is it super tick no it's just the tick i was pretty sure it was just the tick but i was i i i mean i wasn't pretty sure i had i thought it was just the tick but i was not
0: certain (laughs) (laughs) okay the way you said it i was like oh man Well, hey, you got it. So there you go. There we go. Nice. 30 points. Uh, Question four. I mentioned the Q fever vaccine just briefly. Q as a letter is used by itself in many different situations, but I won't bother asking about Avenue Q because I know that's like your favorite musical, so don't get too excited. Mm. In the James Bond franchise, Q is the title of the MI6 agent who supplies Bond with all of his spiffy spy gear. What does Q stand for?
1: Oh, I have no idea. I don't even know if it's like, if it stands for a name, or if it stands for like some, like a, like a word or something. Um,
0: if I say it's a title rather than a name.
1: Oh, a title.
0: Wait, it's, I mean, it's, it's not his name. Okay. I'll just leave it at that.
1: All right. Quincy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm having a hard time even coming up with a good. Yeah, I'm going to take a pass.
0: Okay. Well, he is the guy who supplies Bond and all the others with all of their gear. So he is the quartermaster.
1: Oh, the quartermaster. That totally makes sense.
0: Yeah. I remember when I like first heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot easier to say Q.
1: Yep. That's
0: okay. That's okay. Uh, All right. Question five. This one's very short, and hopefully there's enough in it to get you there. Long Long and ancient Greek astronomers agree that there are how many different human adenoviruses?
1: I don't think there's enough to get me here. Get me there. Uh...
0: If I said instead of Long Long, I said Chopin?
1: Oh, I still don't know, but I'm going to say 40.
0: 40 is a, it's a significant number in history, but no, uh, it's 88. I was going for a piano player as well as the number of, uh, classic, uh, um, constellations, classical constellations.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: Both. Yep. Yes. 88 keys on a typical piano and 88 classical constellations. And there are apparently also eighty-eight different identified adenoviruses.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. So you have thirty points. That's not bad. And uh, their final category is stupid answers, or all I should right. say, I should say smart answers.
1: Okay. Uh, let's wager all of it.
0: I think that's a good call because I'm kind of giving you a softball here, and this is really more of a public service announcement than a trivia question. But it does have one correct answer, and the question is. Are available vaccines safe and effective, and should you get them? (laughs) Kyle, (laughs) yes. Hey, you got it! You did it! Woohoo!
1: You got it right! Uh, How so many Americans are failing that quiz question, I don't really know. Um,
0: I I felt like I needed to get it out there, you know?
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep.
0: Although I'm certain our listenership is not the target audience for that, but there we go. Yeah. Yay! So you got 60 points. Not bad.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that was a great quiz. And uh, yeah, thanks. And Thank get you. your vaccines, folks. I got mine. I got Moderna. Um, mm-hmm. So did I. I. I had an immune response, which tells you the thing is working, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't terrible. It was certainly ah. better than getting coronavirus itself.
0: Yeah. Uh, my arm was sore, and I'm still waiting for my superpowers and to be able to connect to the 5G. So yeah, once that yeah. happens, your, I'll let how's you know. Yeah, your microchip? Yeah, apparently not working. So I'm <laughs> kind of peeved.
1: Yep. Well, thanks, Kyle, for making yes. a podcast with me. Of and course. thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us and uh, for humoring us as we rant about vaccines. Um, an important topic. Important yes. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review or rating, if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's on patreon.com slash potables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know that we're here.
0: You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Podibles 1. Our email address is potentpodablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy recaps with guest host Mayim Bialik. Mm -hmm. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.